Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. 25 years ago, Iridium introduced its first commercial service, when Vice President Al Gore used its satellite network to call the great-grandson of Alexander Graham Bell. Born from a Motorola research lab in the late 1980s, Iridium is an old-timer in satellite communications, going through bankruptcy in 1999 and then transforming and expanding service through iterations of satellite constellations. We were probably responsible for creating what I would call, you know, Space 1.0, you know, as the first lower low Earth orbiting system, first one in commercial operation. Um, it wasn't successful the first time around uh, during the dot-com boom, but you know, as it emerged from bankruptcy in 2000, 23 years ago, we've been really on kind of a, a rocket ship since then. And you know, this is a chance for us to celebrate, not just that we've survived, but that we've really th- thrived and become kind of a leader in the, in the whole uh, communication from space industry. Matt Desch has been CEO of Iridium Communications for nearly 18 years, a unicorn among publicly traded companies. On this episode, Desch talks about the evolution of the SATCOM industry, why Iridium is not competing with SpaceX's Starlink, and when that Qualcomm partnership announced earlier this year will finally materialize as a service feature in Android smartphones. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Um, you have a lot of stuff afoot, but I do want to start with the fact that you are coming up on 25-year anniversary of the company. Um, so maybe we could just talk a little bit about what this milestone means, and we'll go from there. Well, it's uh, certainly been an interesting ride for the company. We were we were actually conceived almost 35 years ago, back in the late 80s, um, and of course we we were probably responsible for creating what I would call you know, space 1.0, um, you know, as the first low earth, low earth orbiting system, first one in commercial operation. Um, it wasn't successful the first time around uh, during the dot-com boom, but, w- you know, as it emerged from bankruptcy in 2000, 23 years ago, we've been really on kind of a, a rocket ship since then. And, you know, this is a chance for us to celebrate um, not just that we've survived, but that we've really thr- thrived and become kind of a leader in the in the whole uh communication from space industry and a lot of a lot of people have taken our lead um and have uh, seen our success and have joined the industry over the succeeding years but um we certainly have grown to be one of the largest and most successful and it's uh it's all due to the great people that uh, have been involved with this this program over the years so uh, we're looking forward to celebrating it with them well, congratulations on that milestone. And, and to that point, the fact that you have been through and the company has been through different market cycles um, and these iterations of new technology and capability, just want to get your thoughts on how much the industry has changed and what that means in terms of this new moment where connectivity is such a key priority for every company, every government, every person really around the globe now. 
Yeah, I actually started my career, early part of my career was in the early days of cellular phones and um, really saw that rocket to, to where it is today. And, you know, the expectations of us being connected everywhere on the planet have just even accelerated over the last 10 to 15 years. Still, even with all that growth, you know, cell phones only cover less than 15% of the planet's surface. And so satellites have been the way to connect the rest of the world. But, you know, they've always been big and expensive, uh, big dishes and uh, hard to hard to manage until we came along and, and really focused on personal communications and boiling communication down to something you could fit in the size of your hand. Um, and so a lot of others have kind of joined us now, um, not necessarily competing with what we're doing, but um, they're certainly, I think, especially in the last 10 years, uh, certainly SpaceX um, and a couple other companies demonstrated that it could be less expensive to get into space, um, that you could create a business uh, from space. And our success now with all the cash flows we're generating, I think, I think has a lot of people um, um, you know, really going after uh, this other 85% of the world connection. Is this market getting crowded? And I ask that because you mentioned SpaceX. SpaceX also has Starlink, which is you know growing and growing rapidly. You had Amazon just launch their first two beta satellites for Kuiper. And I realize these are low Earth orbit constellations, um, but there, there's a, there does seem to be a very different competitive landscape taking shape now than even just a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, space is getting a little crowded, but fortunately, there's, it's, it's very large. Um, as far as a business, we're really fortunate that we've kind of stayed in our own lane. Um, one of the things over the 17 plus years I've been here has been not going after really what everybody else has been doing. Um, all the real activity for the last 10, 15 years with companies like Starlink and OneWeb and, and uh, Telesat now and Kuiper and uh, quite a few others has been into broadband, what I call commodity broadband services, um, you know, making a connection to the internet from your home or RV or, or that sort of thing. And that's not, that's not what Iridium was designed for. Uh, it's not what we focused on. We really focused on, you know, connecting people and things um, and, and, uh, and in very small form with form factors, with battery powered, et cetera. So very different than what everyone else has done. Our lane hasn't been very crowded. Um, there certainly are, is competition coming, though it's, it's uh, still out of ways before it really has much of an impact. And we keep innovating and changing our offerings and expanding our, uh, our approaches and doing different things. So we're kind of ahead of, ahead of the people in our lane. So give me some examples uh, of, of, of your lane and how, as you just mentioned, that you're you know, changing and um, continuing to evolve your, your offerings, what that looks like and, and how that grows. Yeah, well, for, for example, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone remembers our original product, which was a satellite phone. Um, it was the first one and still one of the very few that you can get, and they're still very popular. But over time, we've boiled that technology down to a Wi-Fi hotspot so that your, your iPhone or Android phone or your iPad could connect anywhere in the world. Um, uh, we've, we've, um, we've expanded it and, and 
now are really the major players in satellite into what's called the Internet of Things, IoT. So putting small two-way connections in heavy equipment or oil and gas uh, pipelines or on buoys or uh, tracking animals and all those sort of things. You're certainly not going to track an endangered elephant uh, in the wild and be able to see exactly where they're going using a a big broadband satellite terminal. Uh, That just wouldn't work. Uh, You need a really small device. Uh, It's now going into delivery drones and uh, and, uh, other other kinds of aircraft and and, uh, autonomous vehicles. And the, and the latest iteration is really being going straight into people's smartphones, you know, making a two-way connection anywhere on the planet for emergency services or a message. So that's been sort of the, the lane we've headed down. And, you know, people like Kuiper and Starlink and um, uh, all those other companies um, really have really focused on those big dishes to for internet connections, which is a large and interesting market. Um, I'm not sure it's large enough for all the ones that are in it, but, um, but that's, that's a whole different lane than we're in. Let's talk a little bit about more about what that means in terms of emergency services and connectivity in the phones, because this has gotten a lot more attention because of the partnership between Apple and Global Star. Um, you announced a partnership with Qualcomm earlier this year. Um, how is that going? Well, it's it's definitely been very slow, um, slow to take off, which I think people have noticed. Um, you know, it needs to be embedded now into into the devices, and that's just taking us time. And we're not really involved in that. That's really between Qualcomm and their their OEM. So, um, still, you know, the technology works very well. Um, it's been tested. Uh, it's ready to go, and someday I expect we'll we'll be deployed. Um, uh, you know. When, when the suppliers decide it's time. And frankly, now that it's been boiled down to a chip, it can also go into automobiles and potentially laptops and smartwatches, et cetera, as, as well. So I think you're going to see that. Um, it is a growing market. Um, there will be a market. Uh, Apple is kind of doing its own thing, and I think it's really driving the market right now. And I think, uh, I think they've kind of paved the way. Um, and now everyone else really wants to be involved as well. I kind of see three different approaches to it though. You know, there is a smartphone based approach, which we're kind of focused on. There is an approach where the cell phone companies, uh, cell phone companies, um, are, uh, involved, uh, directly and using their own spectrum. That's going to take a little longer and be a very regional approach. Um, and then there's sort of maybe someday someone will build a, direct a smartphone system from space, but that hasn't been announced or decided and the standards are really emerging. So that's that's 10 plus years uh, to 15 years away. So it's it's happening, you know, I mean, we're gonna see uh, what we call directed device uh, happening over time. It's just gonna take some time and it's gonna come in very different forms and in different different ways. And I, we, we feel confident we're gonna be one of those. So whether it's a smartphone market, whether it's some of these other markets, like I think, you know, connected machines, autonomous driving, you know, uh, aircraft, where do you see the most opportunity, I guess, in the near near term versus over the medium and long term? Just to break down how you're thinking about these markets um, and how connected everything is and still has to become. 
Well, you're right. right. It's it sort of started years ago uh, in a connection for IoT and other things to the most valuable applications. You know, if you were tracking nuclear material, you know, traveling across the country or something, you know that you would spend any amount of money on that and whatever you needed to. Uh, and that evolved into, you know, into large vehicles. You know, we've been in, you know, 60 plus out 70,000 aircraft today were installed. We're installed in several hundred thousand ships um, uh, were installed in, um, you know, almost two million devices of all, uh, of all, I mean, uh, uh, applications of all sorts around the world from energy and um, transportation, agriculture, I could go on and on. Um, you know, the, the applications are numerous because we have something like 500 companies who have built us into their, their applications. The hot ones these days are more in autonomous things. Everybody wants to to have uh, uh, drones, uh, whether they be delivering or, say, uh, monitoring a oil pipeline or an oil rig. You know, uh, something maybe you would have used a helicopter for. Uh, those technologies are coming, and they need something lightweight and small to connect them, particularly when they're beyond visual line of sight. And so you need a small satellite radio to do that. And that's, that's really uh, our expertise. And, and those are going to be markets that are, that are emerging. Uh, certainly autonomous cars are coming um, and, and, you know, many other applications right now, we're seeing the applications in the oceans right now with uh, drones and autonomous maritime vehicles as well. And, uh, and almost all of those are really kind of off the grid by definition. So satellite technologies are critical for them. How much of that is, you know, becomes military applications versus commercial applications? Well, you know, we, uh, one of our, our largest single customer is the, is the U.S. government, um, but it's still only about 20% of our business or, or really less right now. Uh, it's growing. Uh, they've always been early adopters of technology and, you know, where they operate around the world, not just the, the military, but the State Department and uh, other agencies um, are all usually off the grid, you know, or uh, not in reliable communications. So they've always been good customers, not just of us, but of other satellite technologies. Uh, and they're big users and will continue to be. Um, we have a long-term contract with them uh, in terms of supplying our many of our technologies. And we see that going well out in the future and expanding. In fact, they recently uh, realized that with our 25 years of experience in flying a low Earth orbiting constellation was more than anyone else in the industry, they selected us to build their ground network and operate their next generation uh, satellite network themselves that's being built by the Space Force uh, and the Space Development Agency. So we're really, you know, proud to be able to use our longstanding expertise in, in serving them in a different kind of way and helping them uh, build their next generation networks, which are complementary to the services that they use from us today. Um. One of the things that analysts have have noted is the fact that you're in you're in a capex holiday uh, right now, having put the most recent constellation up and having service to that and updated that. Um, I, and one of the other things you flagged is a uh, billion dollars in annual service revenue from 2030. In, in the midst of that, 
how do you get there? What does service revenue look like? And how does that prepare you for the next iteration uh, of the Constellation next decade? Yeah, so we have a long track record of service revenue growth. I mean, just the last five years, it's been growing in the high single digits. I think it's about 9% over the last five years. Um, so it doesn't have to get extraordinary growth. I mean, but we expect it to continue uh, out through 2030 when we made that expectations of of growing our annual service revenue to a billion dollars. You know, to the first part of that, um, we we are unusual in the satellite industry these days in that um, we have a, when we built our second generation network, which was completed just a few years ago in 2019, um, we built satellites that would last 15 to 20 years, um, just like our first generation constellation did. And therefore we don't have to build them like everybody else is doing. Most of the other networks you, you stated, I mean, those satellites they're building are, kind of low-cost satellites that only last five to seven years for the most part. And so they're constantly launching satellites and they never have a CapEx holiday. We have a holiday that started in about 2020 here and we said it's going to go through 2030 at least. Uh, and have even said in, in Investor Day last month that we will have the capacity between now and 2030 to generate um, you know, approximately $3 billion in in cash that will be available, you know, for things like shareholder friendly activities and other things. So um, that's, that's a luxury. Now it, it took us 30 years to get to that point. Um, and it does take a capital intensive business and satellites a long time to be able to get to that high cash generation phase. And in our case, high growth uh, phase as well at the same time. But when you can do it, it it makes it all worthwhile. I mean, it's it's what we're all striving for, um, and uh, and it's what the expectations of a of a satellite constellation, a satellite operator, should have. I am curious what what you would make as somebody who's been in this industry um, for a while, running a company that's been in this industry really since the start. Um, what you would make of the current landscape? I mean, a couple, it was just a couple of years ago when the world was awash in capital and we saw so many startups uh, and so many folks looking to, to create new companies and come into this market. Um, we've seen the sharp reversal as the Fed has raised rates um, and liquidity's dried up a little bit. What is your sense of where we are in this so-called new space economy? Does this feel like previous cycles or are we in, or are we in something new? Um, we're definitely in a slowdown. You know, the last couple of years, really last five to 10 years have been sort of unprecedented in our industry. It's attracted so much investment around so many ideas. Um, many of them, I, I think now with a slowdown with uh, investment, I think drying up for the next year or two for a lot of them, uh, is going to be a lot more challenged to, to complete some of those projects. And, and frankly, it made sense. I mean, a lot of us were scratching our heads when something like 150 different rocket companies announced that they were going to build a new rocket. I think, think there's still, you know, 30 or 40 of those still looking to raise money, and we just don't need that many rockets. Um, same way with some of the networks and the um, and the ideas that, um, you know, I often have said one of the most important technologies we need in this industry is patience. Um, that was really the challenge with the first Iridium incarnation in the 90s. That 
it had, you know, so much excitement and enthusiasm around it, um, you know, raised a lot of debt. And then, you know, in the dot-com and internet bubble uh, that happened, it, it failed because it just didn't have the patience. And you can see what's happened over, over the succeeding 25 years and how, how successful a company like us has been able to become. But you do need in these companies uh, some level of patience in your uh, capital and your uh, investment thesis, and particularly to go through um, somewhat more trying times right now in the investment world, uh, investment environment where uh, investors are expecting quicker returns and, and they're expecting positive cash flows. And it's really difficult to give that uh, with some of these ideas with too many, too many companies being formed at the same time. So it's, I think it's going to be a slow, slow down for a while, but I, I think the prospects of our industry long-term are very positive. I think people have come to appreciate, you know, the potential uh, of what you can do from space and the opportunities there are. And, you know, while there'll be some weeding out of, of the weaker business plans in the industry, I think long-term, uh, I think there's going to be more iridiums out there. Are you acquisitive here? Do you see, I, we've seen, we've seen so much of um, the communication satellite industry uh, move into M&A and deal-making in the last year or two. Is this something that you're considering or no? Well, we're in a fortunate situation that we're growing and don't need to um, merge like some of the other companies you see doing that right now just to get growth. So our organic growth has been strong and is forecast to be strong over the coming you know, uh, years as well. So we don't have to, but we also are in a unique situation in the industry with a, with a really strong cash flows and growth. And so a lot of people are looking to us as a possible acquirer. Um, I've, I've told investors we're going to be opportunistic about it. Uh, we don't see any really big um, opportunities uh, coming towards us at this point, but there could be some small ones that really make sense and, and fit our network very well um, and, and could benefit in, in what we're doing. Um, uh, you know, so uh, we're fortunate too. Our network is extremely programmable, you know, so we keep adding new things to it. And uh, and again, don't have a lot of growth really into the network that we've we've just finished spending three billion dollars on back, uh, you know, in the last ten years. And uh, and so there's a lot we're going to do really just ourselves uh, and don't need to acquire for. And finally, just your thoughts on where the industry, where the space economy more broadly is five years, ten years, twenty years from now. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be much larger. Um, it's going to be more mainstream. I think you're going to start seeing, uh, I mean, one of the big trends, I think, uh, around communications is there's going to be a lot more usage of standards long term. That happened, you know, I've been around a long time uh, from the early days of, of, as I said, cellular communications, you know, from the 1G, 2G, 3G days. And, you know, there was a lot of innovation in those early days, but these days, uh, as we move towards 5G and 6G, the the real innovation isn't in the network; it's around the the edges and the phones and the devices and things like that. And I think that's going to happen in the satellite industry over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, you're going to see us becoming very much mainstream. Uh, we'll be embedded in things, but it will be much more standardized services. We're going to start using 5G standards down down the road. 
uh, in different applications. Um, that will, um, uh, I think that will mean lower costs for consumers for being connected off the grid. And I think that's a great thing. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Extra, give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.